God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming again today. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring the service to you wherever you are. And you can fellowship with the people right here on the Church Online site. So we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and the promises He has for you in His Word. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29? And that's where we're going to be today. And we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about all things new. You know, we've been looking at the life of Jacob, Jacob, as you would say in English, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. And we've seen some of the mistakes that Yaakov has made and some of his deceptions. We've seen that he's dishonest. And now we see him running, running from the consequences of those sins because his brother Esau wants to kill him. Now, if you consider Jacob's life for a while, in fact, you can see a lot of things like that in your own life. We've all made bad choices and we've all done wrong. We all have sin, and deep inside, we know that one day we're going to have to pay for those sins. Those sins will be judged. But now we also see that God came along and introduced Himself to Yaakov, forgiving his sins and giving Yaakov a new life, replacing that sorrow and despair with joy and rest. And God's message for you today is that He can do the same thing for you as well. And that's what our story is about today. In fact, let's take a look at Genesis 29 now. We're only going to be going through the first uh, 20 verses today. In fact, we're going to do something a little different today. I'm going to read all 20 verses really quickly, and then we're going to spend our time just talking about the story that is given in the, verse, uh, in the first 20 verses of Genesis 29. So I'll just read it straight through. And then we'll talk about the story. Let's start at verse 1. It says, So Yaakov went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. That was east of where they had been in the land of Canaan, of course. And verse 2, it says, And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, lying by that well. For out of that well they watered all of the flocks. A large stone was on top of the well's mouth. Verse 3 then says, Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll that stone away from the opening of the well, the well's mouth, and then they would water the sheep. And they would put the stone back in place on the well's mouth so that no one else could get the water and steal it out of the well, you see. Then verse 4 continues and says, And Jacob said to them, My brothers... Where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said to him, We know him. In verse 6, And so he said to them, Is he well? How is he doing? And they said, He's well. And look, his daughter Rachel, Rachel as you would say in English, is coming with the sheep right now. Then verse 7, It said, Then he said, Look, it is still high day. In other words, the sun is still high in the sky. It's not time for the cattle to be gathered together like you would do at the end of the day. He said to them, water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said to him in verse 8, we can't. 
until all the flocks are gathered together and then they roll the stone from the well's mouth and then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. She took care of the sheep. And verse 10 says, It came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near, and he himself rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. He was trying to impress Rachel, you know. No guy is going to pass up an opportunity to show off his strength when a pretty young lady is there, and that's what's going on here. So anyway, it says in verse 11, Jacob kissed Rachel, and he kissed her, of course, in a way that greeted her. That's the way that they greeted each other. Even the, the brothers would greet each other like that. And even in Israel today, they kiss slightly, most of the time not even touching the other person's face, but just with that side of their face and then with that side of their face. And that's how they say hello, and that's a greeting to them. But then in verse 11, it said, Yaakov kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. He was so glad to found the right family. God had led them to the family that he was going to try to find. And here she was, comes right to him to the well while he's talking about them. And it says in verse 12, And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father, Verse 13 then continues, and it says, Then it came to pass, when Laban heard the report about Jacob's sister's son, that he ran to meet him. And he embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are of my bone and, and my flesh. It's saying it, we're blood relatives. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said in verse 15, he said to Yaakov, Because you were my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? No, tell me what your wages will be. And now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder or the oldest one was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel, Rachel. And Leah's eyes were delicate. And that simply means that it could mean that they were weak or had problems with them. Or it also could mean that they were lighter, perhaps blue or something like that, when most of the other people in that area had brown eyes, of course. And so we don't really know what that means, but it says in verse 17 that Leah's eyes were delicate, but that Rachel was a beautiful of form and appearance. In other words, she didn't have any physical problems, and she was beautiful to look at, and apparently she was the one that... Uh, Yaakov saw, and he saw her first, and he fell in love with her. It really was love at first sight. Then it continues on and says in verse 18, Now Yaakov loved Rachel, and so he said to Laban, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, Well, it's better that I give her to you than to someone else, so stay with me. And so Yaakov served seven years for Rachel. And listen to this, girls. He served seven years for Rachel, and they only seemed like a few days to him because of the great love that he had for her. Now, we see this story, and let's just talk a little bit quickly about the background of this. 
you know that he's running because of the sins that he did in stealing the blessing from Esau, his brother, the blessing of the firstborn. And he's running because Esau is mad at him because he's not only uh, given him a bowl of soup uh, for in exchange for his birthright, he took advantage of the hunger of Esau one day and then told Esau that uh, he would give him something to eat even though he was very weak and needed food badly. Uh, Jacob told Esau, I'll give you something to eat if you'll sell me your birthright for this bowl of soup. And so Esau did. Well, that was strike one against Yaakov. Strike two came when Yaakov tried to dress up and look like and smell like and, and, and have, the, uh, have the hair on his arms and on the back of his neck like his brother Esau did so that he can trick his father Yitzchak, Isaac, into giving him the blessing of the firstborn. Esau was the firstborn. But God had told Jacob, I'm sorry, God had told Rebekah, and of course Rebekah, of course, would have told Yitzhak, Isaac, her husband, that the younger would be the blessed one and that the older one would serve the younger. And so Isaac is trying to bless the older one, which is the opposite of what God was telling Rebekah would happen. So Rebekah came up with a plan. They made Esau look and smell like, they made Jacob look and smell like uh, uh, Esau, his brother. But Isaac couldn't see really hardly anything at all. He couldn't tell the two boys apart. I say boys, they were probably 70 years old. But remember, that was only not even middle age back then for the people as long as they were living then. But Jacob knew that Esau was a hairy man. That's what the Bible had said. But Jacob was smooth on his skin. Esau had a lot of hair on the back of his neck, on the, on the arms and the hands and everything. And, and surely Yitzhak, Isaac, their father, would have known the difference if he were to touch the hands of Esau. He would have known that that was Esau. And so Jacob had this plan where he took some goat skin and goat hair and put it on his hands and on the back of his neck. And his father couldn't see, remember. And so when he came to his father and asked his father to bless him now, he told his father that he was Esau, but it was Jacob. But he lied to his father trying to steal the blessing. And eventually his father filled the back of his neck. He felt the hands and he saw the hair, felt the hair on there. He smelled the clothes because Jacob was wearing Esau's clothes. And so he thought it was Esau. And so his father, Yitzchak, went ahead and blessed him with the blessing of the firstborn. And those blessings were before God. And God paid attention to those blessings. So God blessed Jacob instead of Esau because <laughs> Jacob really stole the blessing. Jacob was dishonest and he shouldn't have stole the blessing. He shouldn't have lied to his father. But God used it anyway to bless Jacob because he had already told them that he was going to bless Jacob instead of Esau. And so now Esau is really mad. Mad because of the bowl of soup and having to trade his birthright for that and his brother not feeding him when he was hungry. And now to lie to his father and to steal the blessing of the firstborn from him. And now Jacob is running for his life because his mother, Rebekah, has heard from the other people there in their community that Esau is going to kill Jacob. 
And so Rebecca tells him, get out of here. Your brother's going to kill you. Go away to my relatives and, and my house. Remember, she was the sister of Laban. When uh, she was brought back from there to be the wife of Isaac. And so now Laban, her brother, has had a little daughter. And the daughter's grown up. She's now a young lady. And that young lady is named Rachel or Rachel. <clears throat> so basically we see that Jacob is going to go there for a while until his brother's anger cools off. But along the way, he meets the people at the well. When he gets close to Haran, where these relatives live, he meets the people at the well. He asks them if they know the people in his family, and they do. And they say, well, is he well? And, 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 and they say, yeah, he's doing okay. In fact, that's his daughter coming over here to get water right now. And that's Rachel. Well, Jacob saw Rachel. But Jacob had been talking to the other guys who were shepherds. He had been talking to them right before Rachel walked up. And he asked them, look, he said, look, it's in the middle of the day. Why have you brought the flocks back here to the well? They should be out grazing and eating the grass during the day. And, and then you bring them back in the evening. They get the water and, and then they can lay down and rest for the day in the evening. And they said, well, no, but we're waiting for the rest of the people, the other shepherds, to come because there's a big stone put on top of the well to cover it over, to close it so that no one will steal the water. And when the shepherds all get there, there's enough of them to where they can now move that big stone. One person couldn't have moved it. Two or three couldn't have moved it. But they say, we're waiting for the other guys to get here so that all together we can move that stone and draw water from there. Well, Jacob sees this, and he sees Rachel coming. She's beautiful, and he's attracted to her. And so he now wants to do something, you know, to, to show his strength, right? And so he gets up there to the well, and he's looking over at Rachel. <laughs> he, he takes that stone by himself, and he just gets all of his strength up, and I'm sure he's praying along the way too, you know, to the God that just met him along the way there. And so now he moves that stone, and we don't know how hard it was, but he moved the stone off of there, and now they could get water. So that strength just kind of came upon him when he saw his, his potential wife there and how beautiful she was, and he wanted to impress her. Guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, when my wife brings me a jar of pickles or a jar of salsa or a jar of something else, and she says, can you open this for me? I just can't get it. I take that jar and I go, okay, I know she's waiting to see if I'm strong enough to open this, so I better not mess up. I can't just say, oh, uh, uh, no, honey, I can't open it. I'm sorry. Get somebody stronger. <laughs> no, of course not. I'd rather die than to say that. So basically, I take that and I give it everything I have. God, please help me. Please help me. Finally, that jar gets opened and I hand it back to her like, oh, it was not very hard at all, you know? Yeah, right. And so anyway, then she's impressed. She goes, oh, you're so strong. And I just love hearing that. <laughs> but anyway, that's the way we guys are. We just look... You know, when there's a lady there and when there's some lifting to be done, we know that we can't fail because we're trying to impress them, right? 
That's the way it is. But now we see Yaakov, and that's his introduction to Rachel. They all draw water from there. Now we talked about how Yaakov ended up being in the land of Haran. And we talked about the summary of what he had done against his brother Esau and why he had to run for his life because Esau is trying to kill him. But along the way as he's running from Esau, remember in our lesson for last week, it turned out that he set up camp that night and he was tired and he got a stone for a pillow. <clears throat> and he set that up and he was going to sleep there at night. And as he fell asleep, he was very tired. Here he was, a very wealthy man, came from a family that was very wealthy, and yet there he was sleeping in the dirt without even a pillow. He had a wonderful, comfortable bed back where he had come from, but here he was now running for his life, humbled because of his sins, sleeping with his head, not on a pillow, but his head on a rock, on a stone, not very comfortable. And then during the night, God appeared to him in a vision of the night in a dream and talked to Yaakov. And God told him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to turn your descendants into a multitude and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you this land. Now it's interesting when God first came to Yaakov, Yaakov was running from his sins. And here's the holy and righteous God. And yet God didn't mention Yaakov's sins. He didn't condemn him. He didn't come to condemn Yaakov. He came to save Yaakov. You see the heart of God? You see how God is? He wants you to be saved. He's not looking to judge you. He's doing everything He can for you to prevent you from being judged. In a way, <clears throat> we look at Yaakov in the story that we had last week and, and now this week. and It really is a picture of the Messiah, of the Messiah uh, Yeshua. He left, Yaakov left a wonderful place where he was important and he left it not to find life, but to give life. The Messiah Yeshua left the throne of God not to find life for himself or to protect himself from sin, but this time to give life to someone else, to give life to those who were in sin, who needed salvation from that sin. And so Yaakov in the same way leaves his home to get his bride whom he loves greatly. And along this journey, you're going to see in our verses next week and this week that along the way, he's mistreated. Yaakov is mistreated by the ones that are there. And then he brings his wife back home with him. Did you get that? So you know what the Messiah does. He's going to come and leave heaven and come to a place where he's going to be abused, where he's going to be persecuted, where they're going to kill him in fact. But he's coming to testify to his bride and to bring all those who will believe on him to him and they will be his bride whom he loves greatly. <clears throat> and while he's there, the Messiah is mistreated, persecuted, abused, and killed like we said. And then one day he returns and brings his bride back home with him. 
So it's kind of the picture of Yaakov, if you will. Yaakov was not a righteous man. He was a sinner. But nonetheless, we're seeing some of the things that the Messiah would do in Yaakov's life. It's really a picture that shows us even in an imperfect man, God will show you the pictures of what he's going to do in the Messiah's mission when the Messiah was to come. And now, of course, we look back in history and he's already come. But now with Laban, whom Jacob is meeting, remember, Jacob had formerly been a deceiver and a thief who had stolen things. Now we're going to see next week that Jacob is going to feel some of the same hurt that he used to give to people because Laban is now the deceiver and the thief. And Yaakov, well, his life was changed. When God met him that night when he slept out there under the stars, lying down in the dirt with his head on that rock, running for his life, God met him. And God did not condemn him. God forgave him. And now God's using him. Yaakov is a changed man. He doesn't want to hurt people anymore. He's not in it for himself anymore. He's not thinking selfishly, only trying to get things for himself, trying to take things from other people, trying to deceive other people and lie to try to make himself wealthy and make himself powerful and make himself with all of these riches. He's not thinking about those things anymore. That was the old Yaakov. Now he's a new man because God has spoken to him and changed his life. And in the presence of the righteous, holy God speaking to him, Yaakov feels his own sins. He feels his own lack of righteousness. And he's ashamed and he's humbled. And yet he's impressed at the love of God because God could have condemned him for all the sins that he has in his life. But God didn't condemn him. God forgave him. And God is speaking blessing to him. And God is loving him and showing him how he's going to use him. Yaakov had previously lived a life of sin, but after meeting the Lord, he's now a new person. Everything was new. And it's interesting that even in the life of the sinner saved by God's grace, there are many things in Yaakov's story that foretell the story of the Messiah. Just one more time in the Tanakh where Scripture gives us clues or insight into the life and the mission of the Messiah. Here's what I'm saying. The Scriptures point to the Messiah. For example, look at Yaakov's story so far. Consider the life of the Messiah, as we said, the life of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Look at the things in Yaakov's life that talk about the Messiah. It talks about His coming. His coming was He's going to come and get a bride. Well, first He comes, He introduces Himself to the people who could believe on Him, and then people believe on Him and his first coming. And there, during that time, he tells the people of the love that he and his father have for them. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He comes and he tells the people about the love of God for them. He shows the people His love as the Son of God by giving Himself to die for their sins on the cross. 
and then he desires to bring back to his home those who have believed on him and he promises them, I'm going to go to the Father now, but I will return and I will get you so that all the others could believe on him as well. And then one day he will return and then one day he will return and get his bride and take, him, take them with them with him so that where he is, there they may also be. Look at the similarity here. Yaakov was over hundreds and hundreds of people, a very wealthy man, the grandson of Abraham, who was one of the wealthiest people in the land at that time, perhaps the wealthiest. And now his father, uh, Yaakov's father, Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, he was even more wealthy. And now Yaakov comes from that, and he's the heir, the one who has been blessed to inherit all of this, a very wealthy man. He came from a place where hundreds of people were in their community. Here's what I'm saying. Yaakov was accustomed to being served, but now he's serving. He comes to Laban, and he agrees to work for seven years for Rachel, Laban's daughter, this beautiful young lady that Yaakov wants to have as a wife. And so he comes to Laban. He says, I'll work seven years for her. He's not used to working. He's used to coming into the house and people have food prepared for him. There's things that he can do for sure. He's an active person. He didn't sit around and watch television for one reason is because he didn't have television. The second reason is because he was wiser than that. He knew that, you know, it could just make your mind into a vegetable. You know, you've got better things to do than just to watch what that screen tells you, whether it's a small screen or a big screen or other things. Get your mind and put it back in the things of God and let God give you true wisdom instead of the stuff that passes for information that you see on television. Yaakov didn't have that. He had all of these people to serve him and to wait on him. He had everything he needed, a wonderful place to live, a wonderful family, <clears throat> except for the guy who was trying to kill him, you know. And so basically, there were things there that he left. He was accustomed to being served. But now, he was serving Laban and committed to serving Laban for seven full years. Why did he serve Laban? Because he had to? No, not because he had to, but because he was trying to win Rachel. He loved her so much. He was basically saying, I'll do anything I need to to get this one as my bride. And that's what Christ said. I'll do whatever I need to do to get these people as my bride. I will give my life for them. Father, whatever is needed. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Thank you, Father. And he gave his life for us that we might be alive in Christ. So there's similarities there. But then the other thing you need to know is that this has to do with your life. You can see how Yaakov's life, well, let's just say Yaakov's journey, Jacob's journey, is a lot like your life. It's a lot like your journey. We all have past sins. There may be things you're running from. Not literally, maybe. Maybe not from someone who's trying to kill you. But there may be things that you're ashamed of. 
things that you run from in your mind. You don't like thinking about those things. You don't like remembering those things. And when you do think about the wrongs that you've done, you feel ashamed. And it's not long before you've done other wrongs to replace those with new things to think about. It just seems like the harder that you try, the more you fail. You're not perfect. And yet when you draw close to God and you pray to Him, you sense that He's perfect and that He must be disappointed in you. But if you give your life to Him and believe on His Son, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, your sins are forgiven. And now when God looks at you, He doesn't even see those old sins anymore. They're all forgiven. They're wiped clean. Like Yaakov, you were facing judgment, the judgment of death for the sins that you had in your life. You didn't have a way to free yourself from those sins. In fact, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if there would be like those sins had never even happened in your life. But there you are, stuck with the guilt, stuck with the condemnation of your sins, and dreading the upcoming judgment that you just know one day is going to come. But then God came along and crashed into your darkness with His light. And instead of condemning you, He spoke lovingly to you. He offered you a new life, never once mentioning the mistakes of your past, but instead forgiving them. And He made all things new, you see. In your life, Jacob's journey is your journey. And from that moment on, things started changing, didn't they? There was a new hope inside. Somehow you just knew that now God would cause everything to work out okay. Oh sure, it would take time to grow in your new life. And just like it did when you were born into the physical world, and it took time for you to learn the language, took time for you to uh, understand uh, things about life, how to eat with a fork and with a spoon, you know, how to take care of yourself, how to clean up and everything. How to, how to go to work and earn your own meals and everything so that your parents don't have to feed you all of the time. Of course, it's going to take a while now in your new life that God's given you to learn how to live that life, the spiritual life as well. But now, you're on the right path and you have God's promise that He's going to be with you every step of the way, guiding you, watching over you, providing for you, caring for you and loving you as His very own child. And you are when you believe on His Son, Jesus. He's teaching you what you need to know about your new life. So it's going to take a while. And you patiently see those things. Well, in the same way, it took Jacob a while, seven years, to earn his wife Rachel. And we're going to find out next week, in fact, that it took seven more years in addition to those. Yeah, God saved Yaakov that night out on that dirt where Yaakov was laying sleeping with his head on that rock. God saved him, but now he's going to be teaching him the things of his new life, the life of the Spirit. And in the same way, God is patiently teaching you the things that you need to see. So you see, Yaakov's journey is like your journey. God took all of those sins in your life and the judgment that they were bringing, He erased them, just like He did with Jacob's sins. And God took your judgment upon Himself because He loves you. And now Jacob is taking upon himself the labor that he needs to earn the love of Rachel. And He loves 
He loved her and God loves you. And because of God's love, you can rest from your worries. You can rest from all that anxiety and stress that you go through. And you're a child of God. You're a child of God Almighty now. You have a Heavenly Father who's watching over you, tenderly guiding you in life. And one day soon, He will come again to bring you to Himself, just like Jacob came to bring his bride to Himself and take you back to the place where He came from. One day, our groom will come and take His bride and take us back to the place where He came from, the beautiful Kingdom of Heaven where you and I will be with Him forever in unimaginable beauty. And even though we're studying Yaakov's journey today, like I said, it's really the story of your journey as well. If you will belong to the Lord, if you will give your life to the Lord, if you have believed on Him, this is the story of your journey as well. And if you've not yet believed in the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, this can be your story beginning today, starting right now. Today can begin your new journey where all of that is lifted from your shoulders. All those sins are forgotten. All that anxiety disappears. The stress goes away and God starts taking care of your life and directing your steps. And you're saved from judgment. All of that can be yours by believing on the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, today. Today can be the start of your new life, where God makes all things new. Now, why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry, and He'll answer you. And He'll rescue you from that darkness that you're in, and He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given that new life that we're talking about. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures and guilt away and you'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven with Him and that's guaranteed by God Himself. Now I want to give you an opportunity today to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You know, you can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. It's simple. You just talk to God. You can repeat this after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I do believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive me of all my sins. Lord, I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. He's already started working in your life, and a little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. Over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.